Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. Billy was born in 1934 in Brooklyn, New York. Life was really hard on him. Uh, He struggled in his early years of his life. Rough life, rough neighborhood, got into trouble a lot. And as you know, sometimes people can overcome that, but Billy struggled. He really did struggle to overcome and that, and before long, he found himself escaping by boat from the police. And so, where he would go, he didn't know where that boat was taking him. He was not sure. And by the time uh, he landed, you know, he made whatever life he could for himself. And at age 18, he decided to uh, join the Navy. And this is where something very dramatic happened. It changed his life forever. He opened the drawer in his hotel room, and there was one of those Gideon Bibles, you know, And he read it. He was struck by what he read. And as he would say, it literally saved his life. And honestly, it changed him forever. He still didn't know what he was uh, supposed to do once he got out of the Navy. But he did know something. God had done something in his life, and he wanted other people to know about the things that God had done in his life. He ended up marrying a girl. They began their family on a naval base in Rhode Island, uh, and together they started dreaming about what could be. And he would write notes in that Gideon Bible, things that uh, he believed uh, God was asking him to do, uh, goals that he had. And one of those things he wrote down was he had seen a piece of property that he believed he wanted to buy. um, And he wanted to just see that place kind of, you know, as as a place where people could learn and grow about God. They could be baptized, that sort of thing. And he wrote that down in his Bible. He actually wrote of a very specific dollar amount down. And wouldn't you know, eventually that piece of land came up for sale. He was able to get that exact dollar amount, and he started this work in Rhode Island. But the story doesn't end there. It was actually uh, just starting. This young couple decided that they wanted to come back to Connecticut, actually, where they first met as kids and start a church. They didn't have much, actually they didn't have much money at all, they had each other, (laughs) they had this desire, this passion uh, to start a church, they didn't have a building, they had nothing, they didn't have people, but this deep sense that they were supposed to do this never left them, and so his brother and sister-in-law offered that they could use their basement to start the church that God had called them to. And so in 1972, they did start. 
They wanted a church that would be real. They wanted a church that would meet people right where they were at. They wanted to reach tough people. I mean, that was always Bill's heart. That was always his heart because that's what he came from. He wanted people to feel like, who, who felt hopeless, to have this hope that he was able to find and have a world that was redeemed just like his was. He wanted people to hear that and to feel that. And though he was a very gentle man, he was never shy about that. He had a way of connecting with people. He was not boring. And coming from where he had come from, as you might imagine, he had stories. He had lots of stories. And Bill had a gift and a passion for helping people see their need for something bigger in their life. He had finally found this calling. And so in 1972, they started Haddam Neck Church which later became known as East Hampton Bible Church, which later became known as Hope Church. 50 years ago, 50 years ago. Today, we are talking about church. What does it mean? What is it? Why do we do the things that we do? Why is it important? Why do we have these places called church? We're in a series called Basic. We're going way back to the very beginning, the foundational points, you know, the starting points. And today we're going to answer really two questions. What is the church and why do I need it? What is the church and why do I need it? What do you think of when you think of the church? You don't have to answer out loud, just think of it in your head. When I say the word church, what is the word that comes to your mind? Or what are the images that you get? Or what are the feelings that you feel? Some of you might look at church or think of church as a museum. You know, it's really great. It's preserving things from the past. There are traditions that are important that we want to observe. Maybe it's this quiet, more reverent place. It's good to remember tradition is honored and that's still important. Maybe some of you think of church as a community center. A community center is an awesome place. It's a great thing to have that we can provide opportunities for people to come in, a safe space. I know a lot of times people talk about this with kids, things that they can do that we can serve the community Some of you, when you think of church, you think of an educational institution, right? It's the place where you learn about God. It's where you learn about spiritual things. It's where you're spiritually formed. So what do you think of when you think of church? And what is it really? We're going to dive into that today, and I hope you are as excited as I am. So we're going to start with a true or false question. You ready? Jesus was the first person to use the word church in the Bible. True or false? (laughs) I promise you it's not a trick question. I I could just stay here all day. The answer is true. Answer is true. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, this is the verse we read. He says this. 
Now I say to you, Peter, he's talking to his disciples, and one of them specifically, Peter, says, Now I say to you, Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. This is the first time that we find this word church in Scripture. At least the one that we identify as the word church. This is from a Greek word. The Greek word is called ekklesia. Everybody say that with me. Ekklesia. Good job. And it means this. A called out gathering. So here in this verse, it's the first time it's used... And he's saying, I want to gather, I'm going to call you out and gather together. Now, as you could imagine, this is a Greek word. This was not used in a strictly religious sense. This was actually used in a variety of ways back in that day. One main way that it was used, even in a political sense, and they would bring these forums together to help decide what was going to happen in any kind of given uh, you know, governmental decision. And so they would call out people to gather and to discuss and to make a decision. That was the same word, ecclesia. It was end up using this word uh, 100, about 115 times, depending on the translation, 115 times in Scripture you will see it. This has become the most common translation of the word that we would call church. But more importantly, it was the idea that God was trying to birth in us. What was he saying then? What was he trying to lay the groundwork for? What was the meaning behind the word ecclesia in a spiritual sense? So Jesus is basically saying, I am calling people out and I'm going to set you apart. I'm calling people out and I'm going to set you apart and that's the church. That's the ecclesia. And so right away, right away, right off the bat, we see what the church is. Did anybody catch it? I know I went fast and I said a lot of words. The church is people. The church is not a building. The church is not an institution. In fact, uh, elsewhere in the Bible, uh, it says, God does not dwell in a temple made of human hands. So then where does he live? In the heart of people that have accepted him. And he's literally defining the church as a group of people. And you say, Tom, okay, I get it. Why is it so important? Because here's the thing I want to say today. Church can't be done alone. Church can't be done alone. Church is not being in nature. And having all the feels and coming to a great point. Why? Because it's literally ignoring the basic concept of what church is. Church is not listening to Christian music on your, in your car on your way to work. Why? I'm not doing that in the presence of other people. That's not the called out gathering. Those are great things. Those are really important things. You should make them a part of your life. Absolutely. It could be incredibly beneficial spiritually, absolutely, but it's not church. The church is a body of people called out 
called out of an old way of thinking and living and called into a new way of thinking and living. This is the Bible, the most basic Bible definition of church. A community of people who believes what? That Jesus was born, that he lived, that he died, that he rose again. And people choose to trust and follow him with their lives. And they've turned from their sin, from their old ways, and they're devoted to living in a new way, God's way. That's the church. It's about his kingdom, about what he wants to do. So the church is a body of people called out of an old way of thinking and living, called into a new way of thinking and living, and coming into community with other people. And what should this community look like? I'm glad you asked. And I want to take us back to the passage of Scripture that I have used at least twice in this series. It's in the book of Acts. It's found in chapter 2, and we're going to read it again. And you say, why are we reading it again? Because this is the first recorded church that we find in all of the Bible. And there's some really interesting things. So we're kind of doing this deep dive into this passage. We're going to go back there. It's going to be on the screen. You could follow it along online. Let's read Acts chapter 2, verse 41 through 47. It says, Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. And all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, and to prayer. I'm going to stop right there for one second. We are starting to get a picture of what we should do when we gather as a community of people. Did you see it? We devote ourselves to teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, to prayer, all these things, great things. It's not, it's not prescriptive, by the way. There's not exactly a way you need to do it, but it's descriptive of what we're supposed to be doing and what it's supposed to be about. I'm going to keep going. So what happens when they did that? A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. We talked about this when I talked about giving and sharing a couple weeks ago. And they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God, and again, I love this phrase, enjoying the goodwill of the people, not just believers, but people around them. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Guess what that word fellowship is? Anybody know? I want to take a guess. Anybody brave enough? Ecclesia. The church. They gathered together and God added people to the church. This is the birth of what he wanted to do. So the church consists of believers who devote themselves to meeting together, to learn God's ways, to pray, to serve the needs of the world around them. United in their faith, coming together in very specific and in, for in very intentional reasons, right? 
So let me say it another way. The church is a community of people coming together to love God, to worship him, to love people, to serve those around us, and to love and serve the world. This is what we see the church is called to. This is what it's all about. And guess what? We find these churches, as you know, both locally and all around the world. When we talk about the church of God, God's big church, there are so many that have decided to follow him and to come together in ways that are going to change them because this is what God has called us to do. I actually, I saw this picture this week. I'm going to put it up as a slide because it really hit me. Can you hit that uh, slide there? It's really hard to see. I know it's not a high-quality picture, but guess what? Look what these people are doing. In a place where I could only assume that they don't have nearly what we have. They probably don't have the building. They don't have the money, but they said, you know what? We believe in the church, and we're going to get together, even if it's on the side of the street, and I'm going to hop off my motorcycle, and we're going to share God's word together. Can you believe that? That's a powerful image to me. So what is the church? It's a body of people. People being the key word. Called out of an old way of thinking and living, and into a new way of thinking and living, Coming into community with others and calling other people to do the same. And calling other people to do the same. He says, go. Make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And bring them. That's great. Tom, thank you so much for sharing. I learned a new word, ecclesia, today. In the most basic sense, that's the church. But it's not enough for me because that's a lot of knowledge and that's a lot of cool stuff. But I want to ask a second part today. Why do I need it? Why do you need a church? I hear this all the time. And we're going to talk about what I believe, some reasons that I came up with, I believe We need the church. I'm going to read a verse here, Hebrews 10, 25. It says, And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. Let me stop a second really quick. Some? The word I would use right now is most. Do not neglect meeting together as most people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. He says, don't give up. Don't give up. Here's the first reason why I think we need a church. You need a church. Because God said you would. I'm done. Uh, Like, seriously, right? If you just come back down, like, God said you would need it. 
And I'm inclined to believe the wisdom of God, I think. But let's kind of take that one further. I'm kind of doing subheadings under this, but we'll call it number two. You need a church because you need other people. You need a church because you need other people. Now look at the person next to you and say, I need you. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. That's weird. That's weird. Don't do that. (laughs) Okay. Listen, if we don't have people in our lives to help us, to take care of us, we will spiritually die. Um, I have a new nephew. I'm going to put his slide up here too. His name is Grayson. I believe he, is he six months old, Ma? This week he turns six months old. You can see where he gets his cuteness from. He was born strong and healthy. He continues to stay strong and healthy. Why? Because my brother and sister-in-law take care of him. But listen, and I'm not trying to be gruesome or weird. If Grayson was left alone, he would die. He would. He needs other people to help him grow and become strong. And I know this might sound overly simplistic, but seriously, it's the same thing. Religious or not, I don't care if you're still on the fence, you're not sure about the whole God, Jesus, church thing, that's fine. I don't care about that. Religious or not, you need other people in your life. If you expect to be a healthy, well-functioning, well-formed person, you need other people in your life. People to help care for you, teach you, forgive you, feed you, acknowledge you. Again, fill in the blanks. And you say, yeah, but people are so difficult. And they're a bunch of hypocrites. I don't need people. And so are you. There are lists of passages in the Bible that instruct us about why people in our lives are so important and why we need to be interacting with them. I call them the one another's. I call them the one another's. I'm just going to list some of them. Listen to this list. Honor one another. Accept one another. Love one another. Encourage one another. Comfort one another. Be devoted to one another. Serve one another. Forgive one another. Submit to one another. Teach one another. Confess your sins to one another. And I could go on and on and on. The wisdom of God here is that he knew his followers would need people in their life. If they were going to survive in a world that quite frankly lives in a completely opposite world system that he's going for. And in a world that is increasingly autonomous and me-centered to our major detriment, I don't have to even convince you of that, and devoid of kind of like any kind of even morality as a you know, compass, God knew it would be difficult to stay encouraged and engaged and motivated. Come on, you know I'm right. Don't give up meeting together as most people do. You need it. Number three, you need a church because you need accountability. I'm becoming becoming more and more aware, the older that I get especially, that I need accountability in my life. When I have someone who is there to encourage me, 
I become a better person. When I have someone who's there to push back on me, I become a better person. Because I've realized how short-sighted I could be. How much I might be missing in a perspective or a viewpoint. And I need accountability for that. We need people in our lives who are going to push us and encourage us. And finally, you need the church because it's the hope of the world. You need the church because it is the hope of the world. In a world filled with hopelessness, a healthy church, no, a healthy church gives hope and life to the dying and discouraged. There is nothing that gives more life to the dying and discouraged than a healthy church in your, in your life. And for those of you who have started to equate the church with pain and suffering and hurt and neglect and abuse or judgment or whatever you've experienced, whatever awful thing you've experienced, I'm going to stop right here and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you've had that experience in your church life. That is absolutely not okay, and it's absolutely not God's heart. But don't give up on church. And before you say, yeah, but I want to remind you of something very, very powerful. That was another reminder for me this week. The church is the only thing that God gave up his son for. crickets. I want you to think about that. The church is the only thing that Jesus gave up his life for. You don't believe me? Ephesians says, Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for it. Why? Because the church is people. The church is us. It was his plan in the world the church, a body of people, called out of an old way of thinking and living into a new way of thinking and living, called into community with others and calling others to do the same. Guess what? This was God's ultimate master plan. This was his hope for the world. Unhealthy churches suck the life out of people. I get it. But healthy churches give life. Unhealthy churches build walls instead of breaking them down. Unhealthy churches are known more for what they're against than what they're for. Unhealthy churches are known as irrelevant and boring when it should be known for life and joy. And by the way, let me say this. Um, as long as you're speaking truth, you're never irrelevant. I'm going to say that again because that's super profound. As long as you are speaking the truth, it's never irrelevant. The truth is never irrelevant. It's never irrelevant. Don't give up. Don't give up. And as I'm closing up today, I thought I would just talk a couple minutes about Hope Church and why we do some of the things that we do. You see, we have this Sunday experience, right, that all of you are enjoying, whether it's in person or online today. 
And we want our Sunday experiences to be surprisingly good. We do. We want a diversity of people in this building and watching it online. We want Christians and non-Christians experiencing something that is very profound. We have life groups. Those are smaller gatherings, maybe even more similar to what you would see, by the way, in the book of Acts. Small gatherings that come, they meet in homes. And why do they do that? For the purpose of building relationships, for caring for each other, and having spiritual conversations. If I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. You coming for an hour on Sunday isn't going to cut it, man. You are only getting maybe even, not even half of what the church can offer if you are not involved with other Christians in your life. That's the church. We try our best to provide opportunities for you to serve others, to, for you to serve your community through something we called GLOW, Global and Local Outreach. This is your chance to live beyond yourself, to be the hope of the world for someone who needs that hope desperately, and you get the chance to go do it as God's agent in the world. That's amazing. Next generation, we are passionate about that. If there's one thing you know about me, it's that. I had a bunch of wild, crazy teenagers at my house just the other night, and we had an absolute blast. I love them. Do not say they are the future of the church. They are the church right now, everybody. And those people across the way, those kids, they need church more than ever today. They do. They need people in their life. They need mentors in their life, people who will walk with them, who give up their time and their talents and their energies because this is important. Why? Because it's the hope of the world. It is. It's God's way in the world. That's what he set up from the very beginning. Bill James was called out into a new way of thinking and living. And eventually he knew what he had to do. He believed that the church was a hospital for the sick and not a palace for the saints. And he brought a local expression of that right here to this town 50 years ago. And guess what? We're still here. We're still here. Now, both Bill and his wife, Betty, have passed on. And I had the privilege of knowing them both. Uh, I actually had the privilege of playing the piano at Bill's funeral. Betty became a dear, lifelong friend to me. And by the way, the people who offered their basement to start the church are still a part of this church today. Milton Barb, thank you. Thank you. And if I've messed up the story, go ask them because they know it better. As I was talking to one of Bill and Betty's daughters this week uh, to clarify my story and to make sure I had my facts straight, she told me a story I had not heard before in 20 years of knowing the family. Um, because of the life that Bill lived as a kid, uh, he got hurt a little bit. And from what I understand, there was a point where he broke his nose, he broke his hand at least once. 
Um, and of course, at that point, he had no way of really getting fixed, so he lived with that. So, so fast forward through the years, and he had this kind of this malformed, I never really noticed it, but it, it kind of nose was offset maybe, and his finger was um, malformed a little bit. And someone asked him, you know, why did you never get that fixed? You go and get that fixed. And he says, no, I don't want to. It's a constant reminder of how broken I was before Jesus saved me. That's a powerful, powerful story. The kind of story that God does when the church is the hope of the world. When people go and leave a Bible and pick it up, it changes your life. And that we get to be a part of that story. We get to be a part of his church. May we steward it well. May we never give up meeting. Let's pray. God, you are good. You are so good. We are grateful. And, you know, as I think through the songs that we sang, you are working in this place. You're moving. Even when we don't see it, you're moving. God, we ask that you would give us the courage to be faithful in these days and in the days ahead. That you would give us the, um, the fortitude to stand strong. That you would give us the discipline to change our habits if they don't include you or meeting together, God, with people. Impress the need on all of us of how much we need other people. And thank you for your plan. God, we may not understand it all. We might not know all of what you're doing, but I believe this is your plan. This is what you've called us to do. May we be faithful. I want to thank you for Milton Barb for being willing to open up their house to start this church 50 years ago. God, I thank you for Bill and Betty and for the legacy that they have left. And I pray that we would not drop that, that we would carry it forward. In Jesus' name, amen.